The word of God is proclaimed. Our first scripture reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verses 10 through 12. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, numbered with sinners, appeared among sinners, identified with transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Our second reading is from Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 22. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. I don't know if you follow the news, if you're up to date with our current cultural narrative and and dialogue, but there has been much said about identity, personal identity, how you, how we, self-identify. This morning we are going to talk about your God-given identity. To live the lives that God has called us to live. To be the people who God made us to be. It starts by understanding our God-given identity. And perhaps surprisingly or strangely, our scripture passage from the Gospel of Luke chapter 3 reminds me of my nephew, Elliot. Admittedly, Elliot is my favorite eldest nephew. And like his uncle, I think just his favorite uncle, like his uncle, Elliot loves to play sports. Elliot loves to watch sports, and Elliot loves to win. Elliot always manages to win. For example, when Elliot was watching the Super Bowl, I talked to him before the game, and he was rooting for the Bengals. By the end of the game, Elliot's team had won, the Rams. (laughs) Elliot identifies with the winners. And that makes sense because we all want to be on the winning side. And I don't, I don't know if you live with sports fans. 
Uh, but if you do, perhaps you've heard them say after their professional sports team has won the game, we won. Now, the sports fan in your house, did, did they play in the game? Does their team know that they exist? Have they ever attended practice? No, but we won. We like to identify with the winners because their win becomes our win. Their success becomes our success. Their significance becomes our significance. To further prove this point, let's, let's just say that you go to the grocery store. And if you're like me, you go to the grocery store and you go to the grocery store for, for ice cream. You want to get a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. My favorite is Chubby Hubby. I'm aspiring to be the Chubby Hubby. And so I go into the grocery store and I'm walking through the produce aisle because they make you pass through the produce aisle in order to get to the ice cream. And I run into Tom Brady, Jeff Bezos, he's, not, he's back from outer space, Pope Francis, I'm a religious guy, Pope Francis, and Snoop Dogg. What do I do in the produce aisle? Do I continue on to the ice cream aisle? No. I stop. I lurk. I pretend that I am checking out the Brussels sprouts. I don't like Brussels sprouts. But, but I'm, I'm looking at the Brussels sprouts because I want to be near the winners. I want to hear them speak. I want to get as close as I can. I want to see them. And then I do what perhaps many of you would do too. I take out a phone and I get a picture of all these people because no one's going to believe that I was with them unless I get a picture. And after I take the picture, what do I do with this picture of me and Tom and Snoop and Pope and Jeff? Do I keep the picture a secret? Is it only for my personal use? No. I text it to all my contacts. Contacts that I don't even know who they are in my phone. I don't have a Facebook page. Guess what I do? I open up a Facebook page so that the entire world can identify me with these talented, admired, accomplished, important, significant haves, these winners. I want to be identified with these people so that a piece, what, what is true about them, perhaps people will think is true about me. All right. If you've ever been to a Christmas Eve service, just, you can say it out loud. Where is the first place that the baby Jesus appears? Jesus is born and he's lying in a, yeah. And then, uh, this is a little bit less known, but as a boy in the Gospel of Luke, the, the, the first place that he appears at the age of 12 is in the temple courts in his father's house. Do you know the first place that Jesus appears as a grown man? It's actually from the scripture passage we just read this morning in Luke chapter 3. He appears for the first time as a man on the banks 
of the Jordan River. And what was happening on the banks of the Jordan River at that time were thousands of people were converging upon this river to hear John the Baptist preach and to do one thing. And that thing was to repent. The word repent means to change. So thousands of people are coming out upon this river and to, with, the, with the intention to repent, to change, to turn away from sin and turn toward God. And so Jesus appears for the very first time with all these people who are repenting. And, and they're amongst many people. Do, do you know how, how, how vulnerable and courageous you have to be to show up in a public place and start confessing your sins? I mean, ordinarily, our, our intention is to hide our sins, to pretend that perhaps we're not struggling with sin. Even in church, we don't necessarily want people to know where we've been and what we've done. But these people are appearing at the Jordan River and they are confessing their sins publicly. And so these are people who I would consider to be courageous, vulnerable, humble, and people who are ready to change. They are people who are even ready to be changed by God. They're tired of pretending, they're tired of hiding, they're tired of running, and they're saying, I wanna be changed. I've messed up and there's areas in my life that are still pretty messed up. I'm a work in progress and I need God's help to be changed. This is where Jesus appears among repentant sinners, people who are ready to be changed. And the reason that he appears among those who are ready for change is because Jesus can work with people who are open to change. People who can, Jesus can lift up people who are open to change. Jesus can fill people who are open to being changed by God, who are ready to turn from sin and they are ready to be made new by God. And so Jesus doesn't simply appear with them. Jesus fully identifies with repentant sinners, right? We want to appear with the winners. Jesus identifies with repentant sinners. And this is startling. As these people are raising their hands and saying to John the Baptist from the shoreline, John, ba baptize me. I'm, I'm tangled up in, in sin. John, Baptize me. I'm, I know I'm not right with God. I, I, I know my, my sin has made me unclean. Baptize me. Jesus raises his hand and he says, John, baptize me. I'm, I'm coming into the waters. And if you know the story, John says, no, you baptize me. And Jesus says, no, you baptize me. No, you baptize me. No, you. And Jesus is Lord and John relents and John baptizes Jesus. And in that, Jesus is identifying with repentant sinners. He wants to be near, close to repentant sinners. And as Jesus is being baptized, something extraordinary happens. Extraordinary. It wasn't just a normal baptism that like many had received from John the Baptist. We just read it. And I know that the, the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible, but this is the appearance of the Trinitarian God. 
we have Jesus, the Son of God, and then the Holy Spirit, the heavens are torn open, and the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove in bodily form. And here's the, the appearance of the, the Father. A voice from heaven, the voice of God the Father says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes upon people, and, and you can read about it throughout history, when, when you read the entire Old Testament, the Holy Spirit comes upon people, and people are empowered to do great things for and with God. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon them, and God makes them victorious in battle. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon them, and the prophets are able to know the Word of God, and God is able to speak His Word through them. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon people, and they are able to perform miracles, heal the sick, even raise the dead. And so the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Jesus as he's being baptized, and the Lord gives Jesus his God-given identity. He affirms who Jesus is from the beginning, and he says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Here's the interesting part about the Scripture passage. Jesus had not yet performed any miracles. Jesus had not yet raised the dead. Jesus had not yet stood up to the devil and has been, had been victorious in battle against evil. Jesus had not yet performed. He had not yet done anything, yet the Lord gives him his identity, and his identity is beloved son of God. See, your identity is given by God. It's not earned. Before you choose your identity for yourself, God chooses you as a son and daughter of God. And here's how this works. When, when, I was, when Melissa and I were, were first married, we, we got married, had a, had a wonderful honeymoon. Praise the Lord. Unfortunately, we had to come back. And... Melissa at the time was, was still moving out of her apartment in New York, coming down to live in, in my home in Pennsylvania. And so I had a little time to, to clean up the apartment before she was going to come down with her dog. And so I, I bought a mop. I, I scrubbed that house down. I mean, it, the, the house had never been that clean in its history. It was an old house. Uh, I, I was really excited, and so I, one of the first things I learned how to cook was spaghetti with homemade sauce. So I made my, my famous spaghetti with homemade sauce. I, I cleared out a corner in the family room, a little cozy corner for the dog, wanted the dog to be comfortable. And Melissa comes down, and she, you know, I help her move in some of her suitcases, and she looks around and she says, wow, the house really needs to be cleaned. And then we had dinner, and, and I was just anticipating this, maybe a, a smile, you know, you know, when you cook something special and you hope they like it, and she says, this, this, this spaghetti tastes different. And, and I kid you not, I told, I, I, I assured Melissa that our backyard was, was fenced in, that I, I had it fenced in, and it was fine. She let out the dog that night. Well, there was uh, quite a substantial gap in the fence. The dog ran away 
it was nighttime and we lived on a very busy road. I thought, if this dog doesn't survive, our marriage is not going to survive. This was the first night. And, and I have to tell you, um, this idea of, of, of trying to, to please her and win her over was something that continued throughout the beginning of our marriage. And every time I fell short or I failed to, to do it right, I always took it personally. I was very sensitive to that. And I realized that I was trying to earn her love. I was trying to keep my place as her beloved. I, I wanted to, to assure that our, my identity as beloved husband stayed the same. I thought that identity was something that had to be earned, something that had to be held onto based upon personal performance and works and even perfectionism. And I didn't realize how identity worked, how, how, what it meant to be the beloved, including God's beloved, until our daughter was born. And... It was on, when, when, when she was born, I, I, I remember as soon as, as soon as she was born, they, they put her on Melissa's chest and I started to cry and she started to cry and the baby started to cry and we loved the cry, by the way, all the crying. And for Violet Sarah Penza, she was my beloved. She was mine. So she was my beloved, and there was nothing, and there is nothing that she could ever do to revoke her place, her identity, as her father's beloved. There's nothing that she can do to make me love her less. There's nothing that she can do to make me love her more. And you understand this. Whether you have children or you don't, you know what it feels like when someone is your beloved because they are yours. And you understand that the identity is something that just happens and it's, it's something that is given and it's not something that's earned. It's a gift from God. It's not something that is chosen by someone else. Jesus receives his identity as God's beloved. And, and here's something that's very interesting when we look at the work of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, this is what uh, Paul describes as the work of Christ. Even before God made the world, just think about that. I don't want to lose you yet. Think about it. Before the world was made, we're, I th we're talking about millions and millions and millions and millions of years ago. So before that happened, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance, this is powerful, to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what God wanted to do, and it gave God great pleasure. God speaks our identity over us before we are born. We are the beloved children of God, and through Jesus Christ, we become what we are, the beloved children of God. 
Jesus dies and identifies with sinners. Jesus at the waters of the Jordan identifies with sinners. But in his death, when we look to the cross, we understand that he fully identifies with sinners. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, toward you. How do you know that it's true, that you truly are the beloved of God? Come on, how do you really know? God, prove it. And here's where God proves it. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much he, God loves you. Think about how much you love your children, your nieces, your nephews, your grandchildren, your spouses. God was willing to give up his beloved to make us his beloved. When we look to the cross in faith, when we look to God's beloved son, we understand our identity is God given. It was earned by Christ. And so this is how it frees you up. You no longer have to be identified with the significant, the successful, the admired, the, the haves, the quote-unquote winners. Because Christ has identified himself with you. And his victory on the cross is our victory. His resurrection, his victory over death is our Victory. See, see, we want to be identified with the winners, and the winner that we want to be identified is Jesus Christ himself because he has won over the grace and the mercy of God and has made us, through his victory, God's beloved sons and daughters. That's good news. And so what our lives become about and it, 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 it's okay to be successful. It's, I want you, if you're in business, I want you to be successful in business. If, if you're um, in your family and whatever your role is as a son or a daughter, as a niece, a nephew, a great aunt, I want you to excel in, in that role where God has put you. There's nothing wrong with, with seeking after uh, importance and significance in the world, that those things aren't inherently bad. What happens is our lives become about being successful, about proving ourselves. And that's not what life's about. What life is about at its core is receiving the love of God and living to give that love. We receive our identity as God's beloved children and we live out our identity as God's beloved children. A good day is a day in which you wake up saying, thinking, knowing, I am God's beloved children and you understand your mission is to go and to love others. And just as Jesus received the Holy Spirit, which is the love of God, the power and presence to love, if you believe in Christ Jesus, if you are a follower, he has given you you that same power and presence of God to live in love and to love others. Our identity is God-given. Then our purpose flows out of that to love is God-given. And it's in that we find who we are. We find God and we find the life that Christ came, died, and resurrected to give each one of us. So, 
beloved children of God. Be who you are. Live in his love. Your God-given identity as God's beloved children. Thanks be to God. Amen.